LA is vast, vibrant, simultaneously stunning, as well as challenging and confusing. At Together LA, this city is our passion. We know that loving LA well starts with listening, pounding the pavement in search of the individuals invested in the flourishing of Los Angeles. These are the inspiring stories and real life interviews with the men and women who work to bring the gospel to LA in their unique ways. Thanks for joining us as we bring you closer to the heart of LA, one story, one voice, one neighborhood at a time. We are Tommy and Jojo, and this is the Together LA Listening Tour. Wow, everyone, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Listening Tour. And today I have the honor of talking with Pastor Charles Cho of Tapestry LA. Welcome to you, Pastor. Hi, Tommy. Thanks for having me. Well, hey, let me ask you a quick question. As you and I are talking, what part of LA do you live in or the church is in? The church is uh, it's literally about four blocks from the Staples Center. So that's like yeah. near downtown Los Angeles. Got so it. Very central, yeah. Very good. Now, at the same time, you probably started the church way before the Staples Center was built. And so before the Staples Center was there, what was around there? Um, this is, uh, well, actually, the Staples Center is actually a lot older. I think it's uh, about 15, 20 years old. Our church is actually only six years old. Uh, and this is an area that's largely getting gentrified. Yeah, um, this is what's called South Los Angeles, um, and yeah, we see the the business uh, uh, part of downtown is slowly uh, trickling into the area, and uh, we see the neighborhood. Even in our six years there, we've seen it kind of change. Uh, we've definitely seen it in like the the rent kind of being expensive. Yeah, and, um, different sort of uh, businesses coming into the area. Yeah. Very good. Hey, for you and your journey as well, too, were you born in, uh, born and lived in L.A. all your life? No, no. I was actually born in Seoul, Korea. Uh, came to the States when I was four. Uh, and pretty much since then, I've been in Los Angeles, yes. Got it. And prior, before that, we were talking, you were originally supposed to go in medicine, and you went to the University of California, UC Riverside. Yes, Um that was sort of a, I guess, a far-fetched dream. Um, the the school had a decent program. They sort of lure you in what's called uh, with what's called the biomed program there, and I thought it would be good for me, uh, something my parents encouraged. Um, but almost from year one, I realized um, that wasn't for me, and I did a bit of a soul searching. What sort of, I ended up doing poli sci history, and um, towards the end of uh, my college years, that's when I. Uh, got a sense of calling. So I went to Fuller after uh, university. Got it. And so pastor, right after you graduated from uh, from Fuller, did you start working in church? I mentioned you talked a little bit about church planting or did you go church planting right away? Ever since 94, uh, I was uh, in ministry, uh, started as a youth pastor. Um, and for a while, I kind of decided, I had sort of a Question: I had this question of whether I needed to remain in ministry or whether I wanted to. Um, and I ended up being bivocational for a season, about 10 years. Um, so, um, yeah, I've I, I been in ministry, but I had lots of questions as to whether I should remain. Uh, that was a bit of a struggle. And fortunately, um, God sent people into my life to continue to affirm the sense of calling that I had in my life. 
Got it. And you, you mentioned a little bit that you were an inner city school teacher for a period of time. What did you teach and how long did you teach for? Yeah, I taught for about 10 years uh, in South Central Los Angeles. Uh, I taught middle school students uh, history. So Very that good. was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so pastors, history. Look, I will say my favorite subject in all of high school was APUS. It is the one thing I got a perfect score to this day. I love visiting presidential museums. And yeah. so for you, what part of the history did you love teaching the most in American history? Hmm. I, you know, I'm with you. Uh, I love presidential history, um, but uh, I, I really enjoy like teaching the constitution. Yep. So it was kind of neat watching my children at home actually really get into Hamilton and yeah. memorize yeah. The, the songs and, you know, singing along with it. Um, they were singing history and that was music to my ears. Yeah, wonderful. Hey, look, I, my wife is a first grade teacher. During the election, I was trying to explain to her about popular votes versus electoral votes. Mm -hmm. And then later on, how a bill passes from Congress over there and why the census was important. I love all of that stuff. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, absolutely. Yeah. You also mentioned a lot. You were trying to figure out: should I go Bible vocational or should I go into full time pastor? What What was that thinking mm. behind you, and what did you ultimately decide to do? Mm. Well, I, I, you know, I, I felt like um, I was experiencing on some level more success at the school uh, than in ministry. I was in a Korean American church as a EM pastor, and, and and the church was fairly large, and the ministry was okay. Uh, but in terms of um, just the effectiveness and the sense that I could do more. Um, I, I actually found it in the school uh, where I was teaching. And eventually I uh, picked up my admin degree and I was thinking about maybe becoming a principal and um, having that kind of impact in the inner city. Uh, but ultimately when it came down to it, um, when a, a number of friends of mine um, encouraged me to church plant, I was sort of at a crossroad and I had to make this decision. And, you know, I, I think uh, I was really torn over the decision, but ultimately with prayer and um, the right people coming along to encourage me, um, I, I felt like my calling as a pastor was affirmed during that season. Uh, and ever since then, uh, even though the first church I planted was very difficult, uh, I've never really looked back with any regret on um, being a uh, vocational pastor. Yeah. For you, a lot of times you mentioned it was a little difficult. What were some of those difficulties in planting church for that very first time? Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, every weekend, um, especially the first year, it felt like um, um, there was an existential moment. The question of whether this church will survive or not. Yeah. Uh, the number of people coming to the church uh, was always up and down. Um, there wasn't this uh, a sense of like people sticking. They would come for an event or come for a weekend Got but, it. Uh, to really be a part of the community and build something together. That was that was really difficult. Uh, and then just even financially, uh, yeah. the offering wasn't there. And uh, we, we took uh, a bit of a personal hit as a family and um, started to live on credit card. And yeah. I thought that was a little difficult. And then you sort of see a trickle down to your staff and you feel bad for them. Um, yeah, so the first church plant experience was um, it was difficult, and you know it, it felt like um, yeah every weekend I just I didn't know if we would survive. Yeah, 
And Pastor, you probably understand this. A lot of times people will say, well, you got to trust God. You got to pray. But then also God is giving you thoughts and talents and a mind to think through some of those things. And I say this because I started my startup, Resource Global, about 10 years ago. In the very early days, as we were trying to figure out what to do, there was no cash. There was no, I had to dip into my own personal savings. My wife was a first grade teacher. The first year I earned zero dollars. The second year I earned $9,000 total. We were maxing out my credit cards, everything. And so it came to a point where my, my wife says to me, is this something you feel like God is strongly calling you to do or should we just shut it down? And so, but you have to wrestle through some of those hard decisions. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I can totally identify with that experience. Um, you know, I, I think one thing that helped me was um, my wife and I, we, we knew early on that we weren't in it for money, uh, that there yeah. would be some level of uh, difficulty. We were expecting that, especially early on in the church. Um, so it wasn't necessarily just because of the financial difficulties. Uh, we just felt like um, we weren't anchored as a church. Uh, this was a completely solo ministry. We yeah. weren't sent out by a church or a network or a denomination. So we were trying to figure it out um, just amongst us. And at times when things were difficult, um, we just we didn't have a place we can go to and really learn from others. Uh, so we, were, we just felt too isolated. And, and more than anything, that was the thing that told me, if this was going to survive or if we're going, we're going to continue to be church planters, I have to redo this. I can't yeah. keep going in the same direction. Yeah. Hence the story now of Tapestry LA. Talk to me a little bit about how that started. Yeah. Um, so Tapestry started about six years ago. Uh, my mentor, Pastor Keith, uh, encouraged me to take a handful of people from my old church, the church plant that we closed, and uh, some people that he had that he was trying to start a church with in Los Angeles. He is originally from Los, uh, Orange County, uh, a county below Los Angeles. And um, basically he supplied the resources, uh, the support um, and the guidance. And it was a completely a different experience uh, in church plant. Uh, not only did we have the financial support, more importantly, we had uh, spiritual support. We felt like we belonged to something bigger um, that we were part of a larger community of churches. And I personally had uh, now a handful of pastor friends who were all mm -hmm. pastors at their respective churches who could speak into my life, who could pray with me, who could, um, you know, point out things um, to be careful of. Uh, so I, I gained this incredible community that can actually uh, show me uh, and encourage me to how to plant this church. So that was super helpful yeah. to have this network. Very, very good. Now, why South LA when you first started? What made you decide to plant a church in South LA? Or were there other neighborhoods you were looking at at the same time? Sure. I, I think like many in my generation um, who have sort of been reared on Tim Keller, uh, we, we, yeah. we sensed that um, a city church was uh, probably more effective than a suburban church. Uh, we wanted to be in the heart of the city. Um, and we saw that there was a void in our area in terms of Asian American churches. Uh, Los Angeles has, as you know, many ethnic Asian ethnic churches, uh, but they tend to be more first generation. Yeah. Uh, and the second generation ministries in those contexts are struggling. Uh, there's a bit of an exodus out of those churches. And there's a large group of uh, young Asian Americans looking for a home, 
looking for a community uh, that resonates with their uh, life experience, uh, different challenges of being uh, second generation immigrant Americans. Um, and so we, we felt like there was a niche that wasn't being filled uh, in, in a big city like Los Angeles. And, you know, really, I think a lot of people speak in this way, um, you know, at least amongst friends that I know who are Asian American pastors. But there is something about the timing of God uh, and how the pieces sort of come together at the right time when the Lord blesses it. And, you know, I, I feel like um, the heart has always been there, but something about this very special time with the right people, the Lord sort of engineer yeah. or tapestry to take place. Very, very nice. Hey, so for those who are listening in and they may not understand the pastor, talk a little bit about, because uh, all of you, uh, Korean American church, people look at Asian American church. There is the first and second generation Korean church, but there mm. is a church like Tapestry, mm. but you also are the first and second with the Korean congregation, all of that stuff. Can you share a little bit about the dynamics mm. of the differences between your church versus the first and second generation churches? Sure, sure. Uh, let me begin by saying, um, you know, um, the Korean American church has been largely a success story. Um you know, you, you only have to really drive through Los Angeles a little bit to see the number of Korean churches uh, that are thriving. I mean, some are small, but um, for the most part, I think most people would say um, Korean churches have done fairly well in America. Now, um, by nature, I think a lot of immigrant churches are a little more insular um, in the way they approach ministry. Uh, and that has a lot to do with the inability to speak the language or to identify with the American culture. Uh, we're given a very small space, those of us who are educated in the States and who identify more readily with the American culture. Um, we're given a very small space to sort of express that spirituality among second generation uh, and first, Korean, first generation Korean American churches. And what that sort of has led to, uh, at least from my observation, uh, is a lot of frustration uh, among yeah. the younger people yeah. in Asian American churches. There's a term that's uh, uh, been coined, what's, uh, what's known as the silent exodus. Mm. And so what we've seen is when kids end up leaving youth groups and they uh, end up going to college, um, they don't necessarily return back to uh, their church, their parents' church. Uh, part of it is just the difficulty of finding a community that they're, they're wanting to identify with. So they either end up in non-Asian churches or they actually leave the faith altogether. Um, and so I, I've seen how in the Asian American church, people like myself, um, and it's not because our, our parents are wanting to somehow push us down, uh, but there isn't necessarily a shared spirituality. There are elements of it. Uh, so the one big sort of example that a lot of people draw from is, you know, for the Korean American church, morning prayer is essential. Mm -hmm. You have to go to morning prayer to demonstrate that you're a spiritual person, that you're, you're a leader in the church. If you don't do it, you are automatically sort of um, cast aside as someone who can't lead, who can't be spiritual. But consider people like myself, you know, we grew up in the States. The books that we read are all from American authors. Uh, we've been trained in American seminaries. And I have never seen like my professor or American pastors that I may follow uh, on social media or, you know, 
things that I like about uh, different authors, you rarely see them sort of have the same type of emphasis on morning prayer. Uh, there may be spiritual disciplines that we, we can talk about or quiet time and individual time with the Lord, but it's never this uh, sort of collective, you know, coming together at 5 a.m. in the morning and um, coming together to worship as, you know, the way to do your sort of quiet time with the Lord. But that's essentially what the Korean yeah. church is built on. And, and because I can't identify with that, sometimes it becomes very frustrating. I totally understand what you're saying because I'm Chinese American. I'm 43 years old, but I lived in Chinatown all my life. If you walk in Chinatown at the Chinese Christian New Church in Chinatown, they could, they will have lived there, many of the people there all of their lives and never left the boundaries of Chinatown. For me, then leaving, it is was hard coming back to it. But then I also worked at a Korean church where there was an EM in English ministry and a Korean congregation. And so you saw those dynamics, which the Caucasian church, whether it's in L.A. or Chicago, will never, ever understand. Right, right. For sure. Yeah. And, yeah. and that is the challenge of second-generation ministries. Do we remain in that context and somehow Correct. try to find a happy medium, or do we sort of venture out on our own uh, and find our sort of identity and community somewhere yeah. else? Yeah. Very, very good. Hey, you know, you mentioned Tim Keller. I love what Keller talks about, the gospel ecosystem, that mm -hmm. within the gospel ecosystem, no one church can do it alone. A church has to work with nonprofits, ministries, marketplace leaders. How do you see Tapestry engaging, creating that gospel ecosystem in South LA and where you're at? Yeah. Um, first of all, we want to really um, just respect the ministries that are already taking place um, in, in downtown and the greater LA area. In fact, uh, I made it a point to get to know a lot of the ministry leaders in my area. I never want to feel like we're competing. Uh, yeah. There's so many people who are lost and in need. I don't think the church needs to compete for uh, the numbers. Uh, so uh, it begins with a, a friendship and partnership uh, with among, amongst ministry leaders in the area. Uh, and that's something that I, I have pursued. In fact, I was just on a call right before this one where we're, we gathered about 25 ministry leaders from the area and we had a conversation about working together on the project. Uh, so that's something that's uh, dear to our heart. And then uh, when we moved into this area, we already knew that there were people who were doing good in the city. Um, those who were uh, men and women of peace, um, you know, whether they were uh, of the Christian stripe or not, we felt like we needed to join them in partnership. Uh, so we created um, a team of local, um, what we call local missions at, at our church, uh, where we assigned, uh, because this is a priority, we assigned a staff member to it, uh, where they're looking into it constantly and bringing the training and the vision. Uh, and then we kind of took um, the four we took areas that we were interested in and we wanted to see who amongst us uh, in the church would come and kind of share their heart and their vision for the kind of things that uh, they want to see happen in the church. And we, we were able to essentially come up with from this huge list of um, needs and desires, we came up with four areas to really focus on. And that is uh, the area of foster care, homelessness, education, 
Um, and then um, developing what we call our core team, which is a ministry of its own. Um, but basically, these were four areas that we brought expertise. We took a season to actually just get educated. We brought mm. people to speak to us. Uh, Saturday mornings where people who were interested in the church would come and listen to experts. Uh, so, for example, with foster care, we wanted to just kind of lay a strong foundation. So we, we asked people to come and just teach us. What does it look like? What's the process and what's the need? Mm. Uh, so we've just been kind of learning. And just for the first time, really, in our um, short history, we've been ex actually able to we've been able to partner with different ministries where now we're seeing a little bit more movement. Very so good. On the education side, we're now sort of doing things for the foster care system. Yeah, because wouldn't you say a lot of times, Charles, uh, Pastor, is the foster care, especially for Asians, is a foreign topic for a lot of Asians. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, this is, yeah, I, I think it has something to do with their culture. Um, but this is something uh, I would say is one of the biggest needs in our area. Uh, being in Los Angeles, uh, we see that there are more than one opportunity to uh, help bring attention to foster care and actually foster children ourselves and so even though we're a young congregation we've seen some young couples really move in this direction they begin fostering and encouraging other, others to do likewise very very good what about homelessness homelessness uh so we started speaking to people in our congregation who were actually doing the work like vocationally uh with the homeless uh, in terms of bringing uh homes and bringing uh different kinds of care uh so i, I remember there was one young man who just always had this um desire to bring attention to people on the streets uh, and it turns out he was working for the housing authority here mm. in los angeles uh, and so we we had him actually really teach us on what it means to bring proper care because you know we we did everything from like going to the park once a month and serving the homeless sandwiches or hot meals but at some point we decided to kind of go in a different direction and instead of just kind of meet, meeting immediate needs uh actually seeing the problem more holistically yeah. and seeing long-term needs that we can help address. And so we've um, partnered with different organizations called like The Path. Uh, there's another called Link. Uh, and we've been able to work with them to um, both uh, bring, you know, to bring financial and, and even uh, manpower uh, in, into this area of need. Yeah. You've really talked a lot and demonstrated the importance of uh, partnerships. And in some sense, the spirit of Together LA is that we are continuing to really promote the whole idea of partnerships within the city of LA. Mm -hmm. For you, what makes the partnerships work? I hear mm -hmm. a lot of ministry says, tell me, let's partner together. Let's do something together. But then once you start talking about specifics, everything breaks down. Well, what yeah. have you learned about partnerships? Um, yeah, maybe I can use the example of Creed Academy, which is a charter school here in uh, Los Angeles, um, Southern Los Angeles, um, that's serving largely underserved population, mostly Hispanics and African Americans. And Creed Academy actually has 20% of their student population who are homeless, who are in some kind of foster care system. And so we wanted to come um, alongside them and essentially, um, you know, ask the question, how can we serve you as a church? Unfortunately, the founders are Christians. They've come to the church and shared their testimony uh, on why they uh, started the school. And um, there was definitely um, a connection in the heart and vision. 
so that was really helpful to know that they were already sort of doing good work uh, and they were kingdom minded. That gave uh, us sort of this um, ability to kind of assume things about each other uh, where we're, we weren't kind of being, uh, we weren't questioning each other. And then we just asked them, how can we help? Uh, so the one way, you know, we've given money, but like one one time, um, you know, they came to us uh, as as recently as uh, August and said, you know, everyone is moving over to this new, new format. They're not coming into school because of COVID. And we have a large number of our student population who do not have internet access. Mm. Uh, and so they raised this need and we shared it with the church. And a lot of us just really felt like, you know, how Asian American churches are. A lot of them are well-educated and they see education as something that is a major asset to like future success. So I don't know, maybe it kind of struck a nerve with our congregation and uh, we just decided to supply every household um, a, a uh, connection to the internet. And so, um, yeah, so that's just one example. Uh, we've been able to build a pantry for them uh, where we're donating food. Uh, so it's been great uh, because we sense that they are absolutely kingdom minded um, and that's been helpful even though, you know, we don't bring in Bible teaching or anything like that, um, there is a sense that we're really on the same team working together to bring um, the love of Christ into this area. Yeah, yeah. For you, I think a lot of times the topic of racial tension has really been something that has been huge, especially mm -hmm. in churches and in this whole nation as well, too. Mm -hmm. How have you helped pastor and process this whole topic of mm -hmm. racial tension with your church? Gosh, um, for the most part, I, I think uh, um, it hasn't been as controversial in my church, yeah. being in downtown Los Angeles, so close to South Central. Um, and a lot of us are younger millennials, so I think a lot of them are eager to do social justice work, and they're very well informed. I, I have to say with other AMI churches, um, not from Los Angeles, I've, we've had some interesting conversations and we don't always see eye to eye and, and that, that is totally fine. Correct. Um, that, that space should be there for us to discuss and learn from each other. But as far as my church, um, you know, when the whole Floyd incident took place, um, I, I, I don't, you know, my heart just kind of broke personally. And there was this sense that I needed to educate myself. Yeah. So I went on a sort of a re reading binge this summer um, and I learned about um, American history over again, about the complicity of the church and about the public spaces, our African-American brothers and sisters, the way they experience it is very different from um, whites or even Asians. Correct. So just learning and being able to articulate it and willing to share it on the pulpit, even if it's at the cost of a few people who would argue that's not the place for it. Uh, I, I just felt that I needed to lend a voice and to yeah. stand in solidarity with people who were hurting. So one of the first things we did, I, I remember, um, was we had a prayer vigil and we invited local churches. We invited professors from Fuller. We invited um, a handful of um, community leaders uh, of different uh, races. And we just stood uh, praying. Uh, we didn't necessarily go on a march or anything. Uh, and we wanted to kind of demonstrate to, to our church and to everyone else that Christians protest differently. Yeah. And as in, um, you know, political power or, um, you know, the, the, the verbiage of like 
um, creating new enemies, but it was more prayer and standing in solidarity with yeah. the hurting. So the prayer vigil really helped, but I, I got to say, I didn't feel like that was enough. So I did address it in different settings. Like we had um, a whole class on race that we did for the, uh, for the church and a lot of people uh, took it and they tried to educate themselves with it. And then we wanted to put our money uh, where our mouth was. So we created what I, I what I called a Zacchaeus fund. Yeah. Uh, and the thing that I, I, I sort of, the Lord kind of um, impressed upon me was how as an Asian American, I can identify probably with Zacchaeus because here is someone who really did well for himself, who benefited from the system. And it wasn't his fault. This is the only system he knew. However, racially divisive the system was, he he was able to somehow thrive in that system. But I love when Christ comes into his life, his willingness to give half of his possession. And if he's sort mm. of cheated anyone, he's willing to give even more. And this generosity, this mindset of wanting to bless people, you know, he wasn't speaking about the system, whether it was wrong or, you know, right. But he was just willing to do his part in that system, which is if you've been blessed, you ought to bless others. So we created the Zacchaeus Fund with the with the aim of directly affecting um, our um, underserved, impoverished communities. Uh, and this is where we really went turbocharged with our partnership with Crate. And we also started to look for people uh, to give scholarships to. Mm. We, we have uh, two African-Americans who have received the scholarship and um, these are individuals who want to go into pastoral vocations. Uh, so we wanted to come along and just encourage them and help them so that they could fund their education, essentially. Very, very nice. Hey, we're uh, as we wrap up and as we're out of time here, what are you encouraged by when you look at your city of South L.A.? What are you encouraged by, one, but two, what do you still need to improve on and work mm -hmm. on within the city that we still have to do a better job of? Um, I'm encouraged uh, in that I think the church is waking up to some things that we've been asleep on, uh, especially in the areas of uh, social injustice uh, and um, poverty in the city and the lack of education, educational opportunities. I hear uh, a number of churches um, who sort of have uh, the same desires to impact the city. So. Uh, we're definitely not alone in doing this. Uh, so it's encouraging to see that, uh, you know, that I'm not some kind of maverick. Uh, I think more of us are really trying to live out the gospel in a way that really fleshes it out and it impacts uh, lives of um, the people that we live with in the city. So I'm encouraged by that, that we're not alone in doing this. Uh, in terms of um, what we could work on more, I, I think uh, for whatever reason, uh, John 17, Jesus's prayer for us, for the church to be united, yeah. still kind of um, comes up when I think about things. Um, I, I'm hoping that our churches could unite uh, for the singular purpose of uh, really bringing the gospel to our cities and um, really standing in solidarity with those who are hurting and on the margins. Uh, I, I hope that we can do that together because I think... Uh, our united voice, a united front will be a lot more stronger than uh, individual churches trying to uh, make a difference. So, yeah, I think unity is something we still have to continue to work on.
Well, thank you very much. You guys are listening to Pastor Charles Cho over at Tapestry LA. And if you want to find out more information about Pastor Cho, his uh, website is tapestry.la. That's tapestry.la. Hey, can people find you also on Facebook as well as Instagram as well, too? Yeah, absolutely. You can just probably Google it and find it. Yeah. Got it. Well, hey, thank you so much. And I really, I mean, this is our first time meeting, and I, I just wanted to really get to know you and hear your voice. And we definitely are going to bring you back again because I want to dig deeper into some of the initiatives that you're doing and hear more, especially about that project that you and some of those guys, uh, some of the pastors are working in South LA. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity, Tommy. For more information on Together LA, go to togetherla.net. That is togetherla.net. Pastor, thank you, and we will talk soon, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Together LA Listening Tour. To stay connected, make sure you subscribe to the Together LA channel, rate and review this episode, and make sure to share on your social media platforms. We would love for you to follow along with Together LA on Instagram, Facebook, and our website at www.togetherla.net. See you next time.